my name is Devin. Uh, I'm on the teaching team, as was said earlier. You can decide whether or not you want to write me a note of guidance or a note of encouragement, but definitely do write notes of encouragement to the rest of these folks if you haven't already. Uh, and I am here just to talk about a little bit about a uh, uh, one-part series. So it's not a series. It's just one message called Out of Time. Uh, and the essence is, um, well, we'll just get into it. It's basically that video, right? We have all these things that we have in our lives. Our phones are just one example of ways that we try to run our lives and make them better. Because we feel like phones like generally make our lives better, right? You have the, the maps there. You have the little notes app. You have all those reminders. I run on reminders. The people who sit with their office down the hall from me probably hate the little alarm that goes off. And I don't know if, about you, but I have that Pavlovian response to the alarm, like the standard iPhone alarm of like, oh, it's going off. I have to do something now, even if it's somebody else's. But we're going to dive into this decision-making matrix, which you have probably seen if you've been around like management literature or time management or whatever, and talk a little bit about uh, how life could be better, how modern wisdom tells us life could be better. So there's this little grid, which uh, I found on the internet. You may have seen this. If you haven't, if you have, humor me, I'm going to walk through it. If you haven't yet, this is supposedly if you put everything in your life into one of these categories, your life will be great and glorious and wonderful. So just to recap, uh, if it, it is important and urgent, like your house is on fire, you, you do something about it right away, right? Uh, and do all of you do that? Like you, something comes into mind that's urgent and important and you do it right away? Ah, good. Me neither. I, <laughs> I bank those things. Uh, but theoretically, if you did all those things right away, you would feel better and things would be better. Uh, if it's important and not urgent, you put it on your calendar. You plan that thing out. If it is not important but urgent, then you give it to somebody else to do. This works great in theory, but in practice, who you delegate to is the real question. I find myself delegating to my future self, which is just like the calendar, but not on the calendar. You put it in a stack of reminders that you tell yourself you'll get to eventually, but you know you're lying to yourself. It's just going to sit there until it finally becomes either not important or it becomes, yeah, moves from not important to important. And then, of course, there's the not urgent and not important, and then you eliminate that thing, or you delete it, or whatever acronym you're using. So this, like, theoretically, right, this would be great if all of our lives ran this way. But the reality is our lives look often more like this next classic internet comic, this is fine. <laughs> You sit there and you look at your life and you survey all the things you have to do and the things you haven't done and the things that the, pe the person you want to become and the things you want to do and you're like, eh, this is fine. I'm just going to sit here with my cup of coffee and, uh, and just experience the way the world is. Um, and I will tell you a brief, brief story that involves too much woodworking, so also humor me. There will be much woodworking in this analogy. Uh, but my dad and I have been and guided by my wonderful wife, who is the designer of this thing. We have this playset in our backyard. We moved recently. There was a playset in the old house. Managed to sell my parents on the fact that we were going to move, and we're not going to move this monstrous playset from the old house to the new house. We're just going to build a newer, better one. Great, fine, whatever. Uh, so we go with that, and then we've spent since April until now building this thing. And just so I've learned a lot, and it's been delightful, but I've also come to realize that I just don't have enough tools, right? I need more woodwork tools. So I put this together one afternoon. If you have feelings about this, if you have better tools, please guide me into better things. But this is what I did for one afternoon because I felt like this time pressure of like I, it had, was the end of a long week, 
had done a lot of things at work. It had been like a full Saturday, one of those where you're like activity, 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 not a lot of rest. And so you get to Sunday afternoon after church, you've had that recentering church experience. And then you get back home, you're like, it is now nap time. And at our house, nap time is a glorious, hollowed, wonderful thing, which is slowly dying a horrible, horrible death. Uh, eventually, it is going to go away, and we're going to be out of that rest time, and it'll be like, but please go to your room for an hour and a half and leave us alone so that we can rest for a little bit. But right now, we're in that in-between period, right, of they could sleep, and some days they should sleep, but they don't. And so my coping mechanism that day was I'm just going to go out to the garage and build something because theoretically I should feel better after that because I'm going to be able to make more wood stuff. I'm going to be able to saw things. Spoiler alert, this already existed. This part was already there. This part is absolutely non-critical to the, to the actual sawing. This could be plugged in like this at any time, and I could have done the sawing. But I felt better after I had the bench and the place to put all the tools because it's going to be somehow that much more productive, right? So that's where I want to put us all today because we all have things like that. You have your phone, you have whatever it is, and maybe your thing isn't necessarily more output on your swing set project. Maybe it's the classic example of this modern meme of drink coffee, do stupid things faster with more energy. <laughs> it's my favorite. You just want to fit more in. We want, and this is why we love all those productivity hacks. And, but the question is, as you put more into your life, as you stuff more in, if you're 20% if you're faster because you drank that morning triple shot espresso from Starbucks, Starbucks and you crank through like 10 more emails, is your life that much better? Like, can you measure your happiness in terms of like, I got 10 more emails out this morning? And maybe it's not these things. Maybe it's the calendar. Maybe you have a calendar that looks like this. And I'm sorry, if you have stress from this, just like don't, don't look. Uh, but it, this is pulled, and I didn't read the articles because I think I knew what it was going to say, but I was looking for photos to demonstrate like what is calendar stress. And it, this went with an NPR headline that said, instead of showing off wealth, some show off busy schedules. And it's a thing we do, right? You stuff all these things into your calendar because you feel like they're going to make you the person or they're going to make your kids the person you want to become. And it looks like Swan Lake is probably a good thing. Swimming is a good thing. Betta's birthday is good. Uh, Hubbard Street Dance. Oh, wow. These people are serious. That's a lot of... Oh, Studio Rose. I thought that said Stupid Rose. These are not bad things, right? It's just really, really full. And we try to put so much more in... A, I, read this book recently, which I'll talk about a little bit, but our relationship with time over the last like 200 years or so, more like 500, but especially the last 100 or so, our relationship with time has changed dramatically because of artificial light, because of daylight saving time, because of clocks and all of this. And so we used to, as, a, as humanity, we'd sleep like 9 to 11 hours a night. Has anybody here slept consistently 9 to 11 hours per night for over the last year? There's one in the back. Blessings upon you, sir. Keep, please keep that going for the rest of us, and we'll live vicariously through you. Um, but that has changed completely because we've got these schedules, and you're like, you got to have output all the time because there's a clock, and like theoretically, you should be able to do the same things all the time. 
So maybe it's the calendar for you. Maybe you're just trying to get more out of life by running your calendar. Maybe it's multitasking, which looks to some people like this, or you have your phone over here and your computer screen over here and whatever your third device is over here. And spoiler alert, science says that multitasking is a lie. You are simply switching between tasks over and over again, which means that you're doing more things, but you're doing them worse and theoretically slower than if you had just focused on one thing at a time. But I do it too. Like I've got this one email open, but then you think of the thing and you write it down and you pick up the phone to call that person. And you're just trying to get more out of life, right? Because you feel like it's going to be better at the end of whatever is happening on these five screens in whatever your case is. Or you like tools and capitalism, our modern society is great. The 50s and 60s were great for this. Like that was the beginning of, so if you buy a Subaru, what emotion are you demonstrating to your family? If you buy a Subaru, it stands for love. Somebody got it in the back. Like you've been like, it's, it's there, right? If you think about the Subaru commercials or if you buy a Ford, like you're somehow going to be tougher. If you buy Milwaukee tools, somehow it's going to cut faster and just allow you to do more than whatever it is. If you buy Carhartt, you're going to be like more rugged and durable. If you wear denim jackets, you're going to like be that much more manly and have that much more output in your garage. Um, and that, see, obviously, my apologies for all the, the garage analogies and the woodworking. But these are things that like, our society has kind of sold us on, where we're at in time and space. And like, if you buy these things, you're going to be able to buy feeling better. Even like a spa experience, um, they've packaged this. And this is not knocking any of these things. I participate in all of these things. But like, they sell you on, like, if you buy this one thing, it's going to fix your problems, like direct in and out, or like a jewelry ad I saw the other week. And MBA, like, business classes in college ruined me because you're always looking for how is this trying to manipulate me emotionally into feeling a certain way about buying this thing. So if you buy this jewelry product, suddenly your life is going to be filled with beauty and wonder, and you're just going to be that much more lighter and happier which is absolutely maybe true if your internal software has been adjusted, but the jewelry itself is not going to do it, right? Or we think that media or just like watching more or knowing more is going to get us there. This is the haunting example of uh, the fact that like we spend a lot of time on devices near to each other, but not actually interacting. Maybe they're texting, but it doesn't look like they're texting each other or sending each other memes but you're like trying to stuff more media into your life in whatever form that is of just like, if I just do more media, it's going to relax me, whatever it is. And so we get to the end of all of these things of just trying to put more into our lives and like distract ourselves from maybe some of the underlying questions of, am I actually like the speed at which I am putting things into my life may be masking the fact that I'm not actually putting the things into my life that are going to change things the way I want them to. And so this next picture is the classic empty hole in the heart, right? If you have a hole, like a, the, the theoretical hole, not the actual hole, but like the, um, the word I'm looking for is hypoth no, not hypothetical. Somebody help me out here, Becky. You know which word I'm looking for? <laughs> uh, anyway, you know, I think you know what I'm talking about, but that hole that you're trying to fill up in your heart, if you put more stuff in there faster, but it's still a hole, it's never going to fill up, right? And so the question is, did God 
say that clocks and capitalism or fill in the blank of whatever it is would fill our souls. And so I want to spend some time with Jesus today and how he addressed this with somebody who was trying to fit more in, to do more, to have more output because that's what was going to make things better. Figuratively, thank you, Becky. You are the best. Figurative hole in your heart. Um, we are a community. This is a, a crowd-funded, crowd-sourced <laughs> situation. Um, so figurative hole in your heart. All right, so this woman had a figurative hole in her heart. And uh, so Jesus was out in the countryside, and he and his disciples were on their way, and they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And this was the way things went back in that day. If you were out teaching in the Judean countryside and you were a rabbi, a teacher, you had things to say, you had wisdom to impart, and people would take you into their homes, they would feed you, you would have a good time, and they, it was like a place of honor, right? You got to have, it'd be kind of like the, a top political candidate, like your favorite political candidate comes to town and they say, you know what, I want to come hang out at your house and I'm going to bring my top 20 supporters and you're going to, we'd love for you to host us. And in that case, like if you care, if you believe in what they're saying and you really like them, you're like, of course, that would be an honor. I would love to do that. Not exactly the same, but kind of that same thing. So Martha opened her home to him because she was excited. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. And that was kind of the whole point of the thing, right? You like the rabbi came and was teaching and you got to hear what he had to say. And in Jesus' case, we, we look back at, on it with the perspective of time. It's like, these are the most important things that we could be listening to if you believe that Jesus was the Son of God, right? Um, but Martha, and this is the part where we can look back and say, oh, well, Martha was just missing the boat. But in that moment, there was a teacher who had come into town, and she's like, yeah, I would love to host you. But at the same time, you've been in the situation, right, where you volunteered to host somebody, and you have, like, you have to do the thing. You have to feed the people. You have to get the house clean. You have to do the things so that you can host the people in the way that you want to. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. The outhouse was not yet clean. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And if you put yourself in those shoes, you've probably had that feeling one time or another. And so Jesus answers, he says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are upset and worried about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Let's just break this down, make it real simple. One, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will be not taken away from her. And so the question is, maybe some questions to ask yourself is, do you have to be more responsible than God? Which is kind of like, if you look at it, a little bit of what Martha was doing there. She's like, hey, Jesus, like, it's great that she's sitting here and listening to you, but don't we have things to do? Can you please send her? Or maybe she was like, but Lord, just maybe send one of your disciples to help me clean and cook and do all these things. Like, somebody's got to do these things. Um, and maybe you've read this story and asked yourself some questions like, who is actually right in this situation? Have you under, ever wondered maybe if Jesus was a freeloader in the situation was like, no, nah, it's all going to be fine, while not asking himself the question, who's actually going to do this thing? Or have you heard somebody say, but like, what if everybody did live their lives that way? Um, and do you maybe compare your worth to others by how much you do versus what they do, or like how full your calendar is versus what they have? And this is... 
like not necessarily our fault because we live in a specific place of time where like our capitalistic culture wants us to produce, 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 make things like our value is determined by the dollar amount that gets put on what we can put out into the world a lot of times. Um, and maybe you're totally free of that. Maybe you've been influenced in some way, shape or form. Um, but we're all in this world all together in this culture right now. But the question is, do you have to be more responsible than God in that situation? And bringing this back to our distractions, we keep wanting to put more things into our life, right? With any of these things that kind of distract us from the underlying question of, am I doing the things that will actually help? Um, so I just want you to focus for a second on what is your distraction addiction of those things that I said. Maybe it's one of those. Maybe it's something totally different than all of those things. But it's the things that distract us from what's most important. And if you believe in Jesus and you believe that he was the son of God and came to save us, then Martha missed out a little bit. And Jesus was pretty clear of like, hey, spend some time with me. The other stuff will fall into place. Um, and that, like, we trust that he had a handle on whatever that situation is. Um, but she was trying to get it all done and was distracted by the tasks and missed the relationship. And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, um, want to reflect back on what Pastor Saylor has been saying about what is Jesus's invitation. And if you're here, we're here for week two of the Heaven series, or really any of the Heaven series. One of the things that Pastor Taylor focused on was the fact that Jesus, like heaven isn't a place. It isn't a place that we get to through Jesus or like the, the path that once you are saved and you die, then you get to go somewhere. It's about that relationship that we get to have right now with Jesus, which is something that was really eye-opening for me. Like the kingdom is wherever he is. And that was his whole message. If you read back through the gospels and he said, and every time he says, um, the kingdom of God is near, is, is at hand, or the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is arri has arrived and is arriving. The point is that the relationship with Jesus was where the kingdom was. And in that light, Jesus's words here from Matthew make a l even more sense. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when I was putting that the, the thing for my saw together, I was looking to make my yoke just a little bit lighter, right? And we all have things like that. We just want our, our burden to be a little easier. We want life to just go a little bit smoother. We want things eventually to work out a little bit better. We want to put all of our tasks into the four categories and magically everything's going to be fine. But what Jesus is saying here, and did some learning recently on this, and again, the book that I will recommend, but the yoke, if you didn't know, is that thing that they put on oxen back in the day to pull the plows. It's like that little, those two little curvy things that they put on the two oxen's necks and then you could pull the wagon or the plow or whatever but like there was work to be done and you'd put this thing on them and then they would pull it and back when Jesus was teaching this was an analogy that was used a lot by teachers because they would say this is my yoke these are the things that I'm telling you to do that will make your life better this is this is the work I'm asking you to do to um, follow whatever I'm I'm telling you is, is a better way of living 
And Jesus's point was that he also had a yoke. Like, life is not easy, is what he's saying here. Life does involve work and sacrifice and some choices. But what he's also saying is that I'm going to be there with you. If you take this analogy all the way out to the end, there's usually two oxen in the thing. And Jesus says, is come be with me. I will be with you. And that is something that he repeats all the way through the gospel story. And when he sends the Holy Spirit back uh, after he's left, he's saying that I will always be with you. And if you imagine that you're in one part of the little yoke and you have, or the yoke and you have Jesus with you and you're walking in the same direction, probably going to be easier if he's walking with you and pulling along. It's like we can't, if you reflect for a while, like eventually we don't have what it takes to, to run. Like we want, we want to say like we won't ever run out or we have everything that it takes. And that is often true, but it's not always like eventually your strength is going to run out. And that's why Jesus is the answer. And he wants to be there for us to give that rest for our souls because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Um, and there's a really wise guy that I read recently who had a lot of these thoughts. So I'm simply have done some thinking about that and uh, I'm reflecting on these things in this sermon. Uh, but what he said is if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And if like, you've probably thought about this at some point, it's probably been said in a different way on some Sunday, but if you come here and you do your hour of church and then you go home and you live exactly the same way as you always have, you can't necessarily expect changes, right? It's the same thing with like going to the gym. If you go to the gym one time a week for one hour, but you change absolutely nothing else about your life, you're not going to get <laughs> results, right? If you want to adopt the life, if you want to experience the life of somebody who is fit, you have to adopt the lifestyle of somebody is, who is fit, right? It just makes sense. And so the suggestion is like there's a whole, it's not just Sunday morning, and it's not just where, uh, just taking a few minutes to say, like, hey, God, so glad that you, that you saved me, and then going on and doing the rest of what you wanted to do every day. It's spending time with him. So I just want to suggest a couple of things that we can all do in the face of the things that we do to distract ourselves, like all those things where we're trying to fill ourselves up. Um, and I would suggest that we want to make space for God and then fill it intentionally. And just imagine a world where, all those things that we distract ourselves with, like a, a really full calendar where you just like, you filled your calendar and your days with so much noise that you don't have time to think. And when you do, you're like, it's like at 10 o'clock at night and you're like, oh wait, I, I haven't been doing anything to connect with God or haven't been resting at all. Um, or if you're like, if you're always hunting for that next productivity tip and you're like trying to do more and more and more and more, like we think these things are good. They're all good, right? But it's in perspective of what God had to say about our relationship with him. And so just imagine a world where you've scraped your calendar a little bit cleaner. You have a little bit less to do where you're not as focused on like reading the latest productivity tip. And you have, you just like have maybe a timer on your phone. And again, these are not prescriptive. Like you do whatever is right for you because like my things that I distract myself with are not the same things that you distract yourself with. But in my case, it's a timer on my, on my phone so that I only get five minutes of Facebook a day. And I realized that I could still get to it from my browser recently. So I had to put the five minute timer on the darn browser as well. So I only get 10 minutes of Facebook a day. Um, but whatever that is, where it's like, it's not actually going to fill you up. 
put a limit on it, make that space, and then rather than letting it, something else fill it, fill it intentionally. And so here are some things that you can do. Um, I would really recommend you read The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. It goes deep into reflecting about how we are, where we are in, in the hurry. And his, uh, the, the line that haunts me is that hurry kills love, right? Hurry, like hurrying through life, if you find yourself like doing all these things, pushing to do more and more, it will kill the love that you have. If you're a parent, you can imagine the times where you're like, we just have to get out the door and you yelled at your kid because getting out the door faster was more important than your relationship with your child. Small example, but there's things that we do like that all the time. So it's a really good reflection on our own things, way deeper than I've been able to do it justice to. But today, as you're driving home, over the next week, consider what your distraction addictions are, whatever those are. And it's not like we have to go cold turkey. I'm just recommending like, pull it down just a little bit, start being more intentional, and then pick something with which to fill that time and rather than filling it with more stuff to do, this book is really good about just like take out the hurry and put in some things that will slow you down intentionally. So it's silence and solitude, just like spending time listening to God, praying um, in the sense that like, yeah, you're talking to God, but you're also spending some time listening to what he has to say. Straight up resting, which is what once upon a time Sunday was meant for. Like I'm not yearning for a day when you couldn't mow your lawn on Sunday, there, though there are still some places where you can't do that. But it's just like taking that intentional time. Like the heart underneath it is that God said, like he, he did six days of creation and he made a bunch of stuff and he said, that's good, that's good, that's good. And then he gets to the seventh day and he rests and he's like, this is really good. Y'all should do that. <laughs> and it's not, uh, it's not a command. Jesus says in the Bible that um, Sabbath was not uh, the man... Man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man, which is to say it's a thing that helps us. It wasn't meant to, like, crimp your life in any way. It's meant to give you that space and that time to be a human as he meant us to be humans. And just straight up slowing down. And there's, he has a whole bunch of, the, this John Mark Comer has a whole bunch of silly practices. Not silly, but just, like, fun sort of games that you can play with yourself to help you slow down. He's like... Come to full stops at stop signs. If you're that person, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you're just going to get that, that three extra seconds, that sweet, sweet three extra seconds is going to fix all your problems, right? It's not. So it's a practice to, like, slow all the way down and say, like, am I here with Jesus? Am I, yeah, please help me to be more patient, whatever it is. But just, like, little games that you can do there. Slowing down, walking slower if you're a fast walker. But whatever ways you rush through life and hurry, think about those what you're doing to distract yourself just by getting through life faster. But none of those things is going to save you, right? And so this next quote is meant to like just center us on the fact that worship and joy start with the capacity to turn our mind's attention toward the God who is always with us in the now. He's always here. If you, if you believe in Jesus and the and an omnipotent, omnipresent God, like he's always here. He always wants to help us and lead us through life and give us the things that we need to go through what can be often a difficult and frustrating and painful life. Um, but it's a, our decision as to how much we pay attention to him, how much space we free up within ourselves, within our days, within our minds, to pay attention to the fact that he's here with us, to ask him to help us through the difficult conversation we're going with. Or are we reading one more article about like how to have difficult conversations? Again, 
These things are all helpful, but I would submit, and as Jesus pointed out, there's one thing that's most important, and that's spending time with him. So as you go through this next week, I hope that you can focus on something. Just take some time and pull back from whatever those distractions are. Identify them, figure out a way to pull back a little bit, and fill it up with some more time intentionally with Jesus. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come back up and close us with a great song. God, we spend a lot of time distracting ourselves from just like being fully present in the moment with all kinds of different things. You know what those are for each of us. You know what those are for me. And as we think about what we want our, the rest of our lives to be with, what we want our eternity to be, being fully present with you, with each other, taking the time to just be with each other is something that you point us towards again and again and again in the biblical story. And Lord, you've given us all these tools and these wonderful things and these opportunities and these things to, to stretch for and hunt for. And they're all good, but only when they're in pursuit of what you want us to do. Only, only when they're in pursuit of the things that you want us to follow in the ways that you want us to follow you. So Lord, help us to be more present with you and with each other this week. Help us to pray and to spend time to slow down enough to feel a little bit uncomfortable and realize that, hey, maybe I am missing out on whatever this area of life is. Maybe I am missing out on the time with my loved ones. Maybe I am missing out just on like knowing you better, knowing myself, knowing what is causing me pain and frustration and why I'm so distracted and angry sometimes or like why this thing is always just such a problem. Lord, you want to be with us. You've told us over and over again that you're present, that you want to walk with us. So Lord, I pray this week that we pay more and more attention to you. I pray that I'm more present with you this week as I'm going through life with my kids, with my wife, with people at work, because I know that you want to change me and you want to change the world one heart at a time. And I pray that for all of us as we go through this next week. Bring us back here next week together to, to be inspired and to learn about how we can love and serve other people. But Lord, give us that space to first of all, and most importantly, spend time with you. In your name we pray. Amen.